0: Hey, I want so this morning. I am glad that y'all are here and we are in our third week of a series called seek first taken from Matthew 633 where it says seek first the kingdom of God his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you and it's important to recognize just as we start that all the things were just issues of provision they represented needs not once right representing needs. And so it's specifically the things they were stressed out about as it related to their felt needs of provision. And God says if you if you give yourself first to seeking me, all of your needs I will meet. I will engage those. I'm a perfect king and we're talking about that some, but uh, that's the idea. the Seek first that we are a people who are called to give priority energy, priority strength to pursuing the kingdom of God, we're going to look at that here in a second, uh, and specifically recognizing that represents Jesus himself, who he is as reigning king and Lord. All that to say is we are to give ourselves as priority to the person of Jesus. And with that this morning, I want to start uh, with an overwhelming story, right? Like we're going to have to go from this to like wah, wah right? Because I think it speaks to where we're trying to go this morning, I'm going to tell a story that's overwhelming. I'm going to tell a story that has great weight to it that I hope that none of you can identify with in the sense of, like, this was my experience. But I'm assuming that every single one of you can can identify with some level of this experience as it relates to the tension that they were feeling. So uh, several, many of them, I don't know, about 10 years ago, um, our 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 good friend Tammy Hutchins, you know, who's a a missionary and and, and serving, serving, and now she's here in America for a season. She told a story in her book that. she said, I, "I was friends with she told me the story on a personal level, and then she put it into her book later. These were friends of hers that she had known and had been, and had been serving overseas also and this couple they had like three small kids let 's just say for the story a second, I can't remember exactly, but I think they were under the age of seven. there were three of them, and they had decided husband and wife, with their three kids, they were going to sell everything that they had in America, and they were going to give themselves wholeheartedly in mission uh, to this this country probably." probably. Probably in the 1040 window, somewhere probably in the Asia, in the Asia part of the world, right? And so they went over, they sold everything, they picked up everything, church commissioned them, and they went to give themselves for a life in this country. About two or three weeks in, the husband one day wasn't feeling well, and they got to the point, they said, hey, we need to go to the hospital and get this checked out. So they, they left the kids with the neighbor, and, and, and husband and wife went to the hospital, and doctor checked him out, and, and looked at hey, I think he's going to be, he's going to be fine, he's going to be fine. In fact, we want to do, just just for safety's sake, we're going to keep him overnight for observation. Uh, but won't you go home, take care of the kids, and then tomorrow morning you can come and pick up your husband. You can take him home. She's like, that's a fantastic idea. So she left him. They hugged. They went off. She went off to home, took care of the kids. Next morning she woke up, picked up the phone, called the hospital, said, Hey, this is so and so. I'm here to. I'm just calling to figure out what the plan needs to be for picking up my husband. And was silence on the other end of the line. And said, Ma'am, I'm sorry that no one called you, but your husband died last night. And she was beyond distraught. And so she started working, got the kids, called a taxi. They didn't have transportation. And they started running down to the car. And as she got to the car, she stopped. She turned around and she knelt down to the kids' level. And she looked at all of them and she said, Listen, God is for us. He loves us. And we will not be offended. God loves us. God is for us. And we will not be offended. This morning, it's message, it's for those who believe that the kingdom of, has come. However, you've experienced suffering and loss in such a way that it challenges your belief and conviction and the power And the goodness of God and the power of God's kingdom. That you were the one who's living with the conviction, yes, that Jesus is king, but I've had such experiences that I have tension with living in the confidence of Jesus as king. We began last week talking about just what is a kingdom. You can't seek something if you don't know what it is. And so we began to talk through the idea of what a kingdom is. And we had about, I think we had about six different takeaways from last week. And they were kind of foundational takeaways. And it began this thing this. We believe that God has a plan to change the world through His kingdom on earth, right? So we have said at the beginning of all of this, we believe that God created uh, humanity. He created a world that had such beauty and such majesty. Jesus literally died for it in such a way that he loves it. Therefore, he didn't just leave it to chance. He didn't say, ah, I'm done with that right No, He is involved. He's engaged. And we have to believe that he has a plan for the world in which we live. And That plan begins with Jesus's kingdom coming to earth in his death and resurrection. So Jesus is involved. He's engaged. Number two, we believe that there is a king who has a kingdom. That's the nature of kingdom language. There's a kingdom that's like a territory. It's a place and it's a people. And they have a king who has authority over it. So we said God is the perfect king, and everything and everyone on earth is his territory. That's just the nature of, of kingdom language. When we say seek first the kingdom, we're saying we are seeking first this perfect king and lord over all and everything that is in creation he is ultimately over has authority in third he has come to alleviate the source of worries fears anxieties of humanity so as a perfect king his job is to defend and to fight for us to provide for us and to be there for us and to call us to obedience right so in that because he's a perfect king because he's all loving expresses the fruit of the Spirit as, a, as the only way he relates to us, then it alleviates our source of worries, fears, and anxieties because we know that he will provide for us. Which comes down to number four. Historically speaking, there was a moment when the kingdom was on earth, Garden of Eden. The kingdom was lost in Genesis chapter 3, the introduction of sin. All the way, through, all the way up to Jesus, there was the idea of the kingdom and longing for it to come. And then with Jesus, the kingdom had come. Jesus said in his own words at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the kingdom has come near, repent and believe the good news. Right? Jesus came, he brought the kingdom And if he is the king, again, this is all kingdom language, foundational, right? Then we must give allegiance to the king. Everybody say allegiance. It's where we've ultimately put ourselves under his leadership, his guiding, and his lordship, but knowing he is perfect in it and he is always loving. He's not one of those terrible dictatorial kings who's always abusive. He is a perfect and loving king who is always kind and compassionate which then comes to 6, if that's all true then, then we are to give our primary energies to seeking the kingdom, its establishment, that we are fighting for others to come under the allegiance of the king, recognizing there are people and there are places that are not under the lordship of jesus they've never submitted to him they've never surrendered to him from the language of narnia they are still living in a perpetual winter under the ruler the the this uh, queenship of the evil queen and wherever aslan moves right breakthrough happens spring breaks into winter so we are those who are always wanting to move people to allegiance to jesus because we believe it's where life is found That's his foundational, that's his kingdom language, right? He's perfect in love. So that leads us to the place. And so with the understanding of the kingdom has come, we think of it as a great thing, right? Jesus is king. He's perfect in his lordship. He is overwhelmingly powerful. He broke the back of power, the back of death and and of sickness. He broke the power of the enemy and broke the power of hell. It is great news. However, with that good news always comes the tension, connected to the story I told earlier. You could say it's not just a tension. You could say it's the great letdown. That's my own personal language. I didn't steal that from some theologian. I just look at it and go, sometimes the tension of our world is a tension and other times it feels like the great letdown. God, where are you? And we can't talk kingdom language and the kingdom come unless we also recognize that there is a tension. Because here's the point. And this is like foundational understanding of Scripture and of Jesus and Jesus coming to earth. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus, but not yet fully. And because it has come, but not yet fully, then there is the tension of it being here, but not yet completely. And so there is the tension of life. And I feel like for us that the kingdom having come, but living in the tension, many times it can be overwhelming, it can be disillusioning, and it can be faith crushing. I have good news for you this morning. I'm not at the end of this going to tie this up in a nice, tidy bow and make you feel great at the end. Because I don't think the tension of life ever does that. I'm going to lead you to a place of seeking first the kingdom and hearing from him yourself. I'm just letting you know in advance, okay? My goal today is to let you know you're not alone. You're not guilt-ridden because of doubt or depression or fear or anxiety and the things you're facing in the world. You're absolutely not condemned by Jesus because I think he fully understands. We're going to look at that here in a second. And I want them to release you then to be honest. Everybody say honest. Thank you. Some of you are like, I'm not saying it. Fine. But I want to lead you to that place of being able to be honest this week. Not just this morning, but this week. The first thing that's helpful for me is recognizing, man, we find tension in Scripture in the New Testament around the person of Jesus multiple times. I'm going to name one of them on a macro level, and I'm going to look at one on an individualistic level. Jesus said, again, the kingdom has come in Mark chapter 115, Right? And, and with that, you have to recognize there are really clear and great expectations of what that means by everyone who's listening. So when Jesus says in Mark 1 15 the kingdom has come near, every single person would have had an expectation. They would have, hooked, they would have hitched to Jesus' message right here and said, oh my gosh, then that means this. And so what that would have meant for them, and again, you have to recognize Every There was like a, a wide road of expectations, but there were some umbrellas over those. I'm going to name the umbrellas because every kind of person defined that a little bit differently by whatever circle that they lived in. But all of them had some very clear, shared expectations and anticipations around the kingdom coming. The first of those would have been that the king would have come and done some unbelievably powerful things on a spiritual level, very much akin to what Moses did in the ex- Exodus and the miracles that he did by leading the Israelites out of captivity, right? So think of all the miracles, the hitting the, hitting the rock and water flowing out. Think about the fire by day, right? The cloud by, the cloud by day, fire by night, like the miracles. They would have thought this king slash leader would come in a similar way to Moses and do some miraculous and spiritual things. And we recognize Jesus did that. Jesus did that, but they also would have had anticipation, and we've named this before, but I want to kind of put it a little bit different language. They would have believed in this kind of national governmental leader who would come into all of the governments of the world and crush all of them in the name of God, they would come and set themselves up as the new king and the order just like David and they would have authority and rulership not just over all of Judy, all, all of the Israelites and in Judaism, but over every single human being in the world and every single, and there would have been excuse me, nationalistic pride in this of God establishing this king and now we've won. So there's this nationalistic rise to governmental leadership. That's why, from Isaiah nine, we remember Christmas. It says, "And the government shall be on his shoulders." That was their anticipation. All governments of the world would fall onto the shoulders of the Messiah, the King. And so, when Jesus says, "I, the kingdom has come in me," this scripture today is fulfilled in your hearing. They would have thought. He's going to lead us then as this king and spiritual leader to a place of ultimate peace and ultimate prosperity. So when Jesus started working miracles and casting out hundreds of demons from people, it was a big deal. But here's the thing. When the, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead happened, talk about a game changer. Jesus went from some followers to all of a sudden almost overnight Thousands of followers and all the religious leaders of the day begin to talk amongst themselves in fear, saying, we've never seen anybody like him. Out of all the, all the hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the years who've claimed to be the Messiah, he is one who's doing something that no one's ever done. This is incredible. We're not sure we're comfortable with it, right? They're like wrestling with it because everybody recognized Jesus was different. And so in this, people were excited. Jesus is doing this thing, and everyone paid attention, and everyone said, we think he's the one. And again, thousands of people were following him. But then came the tension. Then came the letdown. Tension and the letdown. Jesus did the miracles, but he never aspired to the power of a national leader. Like at one point, and this would have been almost heretical to them, Jesus looked at them and said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's when talking about money, right? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Why is that a big deal? Because Jesus is coming and revealing a submission to the authority of the day rather than a defiant opposition in the name of God's kingdom. The big deal. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, like they walk away going, what does he mean by that? Render unto Caesar I means is he like putting himself under the ruler of this king? Like, he's, not a, he's an evil king. He's supposed to be the king. What, what's going on in the beginning? Like, ah, uh, but I mean, okay, but at least he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? It's like, at least he raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, that's still a good thing. Maybe, maybe he's just going to wait, but there was this tension that they had in the moment. And so we in here begin to lie. This one lies at the beginning of this tension, great letdown. And then Jesus died. Let me just be honest with you. That's not a great winning move in the eyes of the world, right? Dying is not a great winning move in the idea of taking over someone's kingdom, right? In the eyes of the world, he was a complete failure, a complete letdown. And everyone was disillusioned. Remember on the road to Emmaus? He you had know, those two guys who were walking, Cleopas and, somebody, and his friend? And they literally said, we'd hope that he was the one, but... Now what do we do? And they're just leaving, going home completely deflated. It was the great letdown. It was the tension. The kingdom, this is really important language, the kingdom didn't come the way they expected. I'll be honest with you, expectations is one of the great sources, the great source of our tension today around a lot of things with Jesus. Jesus. Along with this story, it goes an uh, individual story of of John the Baptist. All of you have heard of John the Baptist. If you have not, he was the cousin of Jesus, who ultimately was the primary person that God used to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Messiah was coming. He preached. He went out into like he did some crazy things. He went out into the into the desert and began to preach a, a message of repentance. He began to 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 preach a message of judgment on people he was he was literally kind of revolting against national leaders so when they came out into the desert to see him they looked as he looked and said oh you brood of vipers that's not loving kind language i'm just telling you right he's getting in their face telling them you are demonic you are dangerous you are worthless a king is coming who's going to take you over right that was the idea here So John the Baptist came, and we don't know exactly his theology, but we do know he probably fell under these umbrellas. That he was expecting one to come who was powerful, who was mighty, who would fulfill the Isaiah 9 prophetic piece about government being on his shoulders and peace and prosperity reigning through him, and of him doing miracles and signs and wonders. He probably lived with this mentality. And then all of a sudden... John gets thrown into prison. And it's going to be important to come back to this here in a moment, but he's put into prison. It's not great. The prison he's thrown into, right, literally is the base. It's like a dungeon. There's no light. He's not going outside every single day and get to play an hour of basketball on the on the yard, right? No, he's literally in chains, in a dungeon. There's mice. There's excrement. There's stuff. He can't go outside to go to the bathroom. It is just completely dark and dangerous, and it is dismal. And he's living there in this moment. And I don't know about you, I've never lived in moments like that physically, but I can imagine the toll that it takes on me. I know what my life looks like when lightning hits outside and my Internet goes out for about 30 minutes, right? I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Oh, my God. Oh, it's easy right now. What are you doing? I mean, like, I get all anxious and upset, like, ah, let alone being in, a, like, in this dungeon. And you know what I'm getting at, right? That's where he's living. It's probably not great for him. I'm sure he's not thriving in life. Here he is waiting to be killed. He looks and he looks at Jesus. And I believe what we find is a great tension, great letdown for John with the person of Jesus. Look at it. It says in verse 20 of Luke chapter 7, when the men came to Jesus, they said they were disciples of John. John the Baptist, he sent us to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Like you know, John's already said, Here is the one. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John. What you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. God, blessed is anyone who does not stumble because of the tension of me. I believe in these verses, again, we see the tension of John. I, I wonder if it is the great letdown for him. I believe John's expectation of the coming king and the coming kingdom... I don't believe they're met in this moment. His expectations are not being met by the life of Jesus. And I believe he's struggling some theologians and okay, And it's okay. Like we don't really know but I, some theologians say, no, John wasn't questioning. John's super strong. He was having his disciples go to Jesus on their own behalf. Like he couldn't make them believe. So he wanted them to go to Jesus on their own behalf and receive back from Jesus, the message that he is the one to encourage them. But I don't think that's the case because Jesus says, go back to John. Blessed are those who don't stumble on behalf of me. And then he spends like five verses talking about why John is so great. This is a story about John, in my opinion. Think of the story of John's tension I think it's the story of John's doubt. I don't believe he was doubting in God as in like doubting faith in God. I don't believe he was, he was even doubting the coming kingdom because he said, should we expect one to come or somebody else? I think he's actually doubting his own convictions, his own ability to hear God. I think he's, I think he's doubting his own beliefs, the things that he landed on. I think he's struggling with his own personal. that I miss God? Did I not hear God? Like I thought he was going to do this, and he's not, and I thought he was the one, and it's not what I thought. Huh? I mean, have you ever had those moments where you begin to kind of doubt self in the midst of like that phrase that's been used throughout the generations? says we, we doubt in the dark what God was, was, was so clear about in the light. In those moments, like, oh my gosh, yeah, Jesus is so great. And then all hell breaks loose. like, I'm not sure I believe him anymore, (laughs) right? It's that moment, that tension. I believe John is experiencing that. And I love that literally Jesus is here in the moment. I think he has compassion for John. Blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me. I think John had a real tension. His expectations aren't being met couple of reasons, possibilities, why these are not like biblical reasons as in like it tells us it's kind of hypothetical reasons, but I mean, I'm taking this some like background. I think that leads me to this conviction. So I'm going to give you two possibilities. Please don't go quote me on these. It's like, well, Steve said the Bible said I'm saying, no, these are possibilities of possible things that John may have been struggling with and wrestling with in the moment. There may have been other things, but here are a couple of things I just wrote down for myself that I thought maybe John is struggling with. Number one, John may be suffering and struggling in prison under a corrupt leader wondering, well, why doesn't the king of kings come and get me out? Like he believed that Jesus was the Messiah... He believed that Jesus was the king. He believed that he was the king who was coming in a nationalistic way to take over all kingdoms. It's perfect Hollywood experience that Jesus would wait until that moment right before his death and then release John and set him free and everyone would celebrate and hand in hand together in the air and say, look, we have brought the kingdom. And he's sitting in prison, dismal and dark, watching Jesus do absolutely nothing Along the lines of nationalistic rising to power to take over the kingdom and the kingdoms and to set himself as king. If he is the true king, then why isn't he doing that? And surely he could set me free. Have you ever had those moments? I know this is happening, but God loves me. He could be moving in this way in my life to bring freedom. Why isn't he? Second possibility, again, these are just throwing some things out. John's teaching a message. I actually read I stole this from somebody else, so you can blame them. John is teaching a message of repentance and judgment and challenging challenging the nationalistic establishment, right? But Jesus isn't doing that. Look instead at what Jesus is doing, and I'm going to tell you why I think this creates tension for John. He says, go back, I've already read this, but go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Verse 22 of Luke 7. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. He says, all right, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, right? We look at those and go, those are amazing things, right? Those are amazing things. But recognize what Jesus is not doing. Jesus is not preaching a message of judgment. He's preaching a completely different style of message Of repentance, and he is absolutely not challenging the nationalistic establishment like John was. Instead, he is ministering powerfully to those in Jewish culture who were marginalized and oppressed and completely powerless. He wasn't preaching to the powerful and to the establishment, he was giving his life away. To the, un- to the marginalized, to the unclean, to the social outcast, right? To the blind, who were considered unclean and couldn't go into the temple. Those who were lame could not go into the temple. Those who had leprosy, who had to sit outside in, even outside of the city as a whole. He went to the deaf, right, who were considered unclean, and he went to the dead. Let me tell you, if you want to win in life, don't give yourself to the dead people. That's not a winning plan. Right? It's not a winning plan. And that's what Jesus is doing. And I think John's looking at that going, Ah, that's great, but why aren't you going after this group of people? This is how your kingdom comes. And he's disillusioned and frustrated and overwhelmed in the moment. You don't change a nationalistic kingdom by focusing on the least. And I personally believe it's a struggle for John. The coming of the kingdom coming of the kingdom, the way Jesus came, it created tension for all of his followers. Can't let you know the secret. I believe in the way that Jesus came and how his kingdom is established on earth today is still creating tension for every single one of his followers because he did not meet, this is important language right here. He did not meet their expectations. And I'm arguing that Jesus is not meeting our expectations today also. And you see the tension, right? You feel that. Some of you, if you let yourself be honest, you could put your finger on something that's a little bit of a rub still, or maybe a big rub for you. Around things you prayed for or believed in that just never came to fruition. We have to ask ourselves today, how comfortable and okay are we with the tension? How comfortable and okay are we with the tension? Or does the kingdom coming seem like a great letdown? Because in the kingdom coming, hardship and pain and suffering, they're still present in our culture, in our community. They're still present in our families, present in my family, and I believe it's present all in all of our personal lives. The reason being simple, the kingdom has come, but it's not yet come fully. The perfection has not yet come, and so we live in that tension. I think one of the problems is so many of us have worked out a mental arrangement with God. We've worked out of a mental arrangement with God. I'll be honest with you, some of that mental arrangement has been proclaimed and connected to the gospel of Jesus And talk to you something along these lines. God is a good God. He's a perfectly loving Father. He will always fight for you, Psalm 91. He will always protect you. And if you are obedient, then he will care for you and keep anything bad from happening to you. Not in Scripture. Sorry, right? But We create this mental arrangement with God that he never signed off on. Again, I kind of paint the picture again. If we obey God... We don't sin, we love our neighbor, we give our tithes, we share the gospel with the lost, we help old ladies cross the street, then God will protect us and he will keep us from suffering as God and king, right? He has the power to do this. We live in this. In the charismatic church, I think it's actually expressed in an even deeper way because we have such a high view of the power of God and this movement of God's spirit And moving with healing and salvation and deliverance. All these things that I absolutely believe in and God is actually bringing, right? I see the book of Acts and I see these things happening. We read this book of Acts. You look at Acts 2.42, our namesake. We're like, yes, this is so great. How many of you know those cities where the church was formed is dead today, right? Because of the tension, I'm just saying. So as God and King, right, we come into this tension. Therefore, when God doesn't keep his end of the bargain, that's when we become disillusioned, we become angry with God, and sometimes we turn away from altogether. It's our experience of the tension or the great letdown. So for us this morning, here's the thing we have to be honest about the tension. And then we have to begin to surrender our expectations or our unhealthy expectations or our unmet expectations or just our wrong expectations similar to the followers of Jesus and similar to John the Baptist, right? We have to release our expectations of the kingdom half truths that we've been taught and allow our expectation to be shaped by the truth of how God actually moves, right? And what we see from history. Language of the kingdom on earth today is clear. The kingdom of God came in Jesus. Its impact on our spiritual lives is profound. But because the kingdom has not yet fully, that means we will experience tension along with great salvation until the perfect comes in time. And the perfect coming in time is unclear Because no one knows when Jesus is going to return and restore in time all kingdoms under him, where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he actually is Lord on the earth and under it. That time is coming, but it hasn't yet come. That's why we have, again, using that Narnia language from last week, there are still those under the, the reign and rule of the witch, the white witch, who are living in a perpetual winter, who've never surrendered to the king. And there are those who have surrendered to God and surrendered to the kingdom, are living under allegiance to him, who are breaking, spring is breaking in. And we live in a world of spring and of winter. Because I don't know about you, but i got some neighbors who are living in winter, and i got some neighbors who are living in spring, and our lives coincide, and there's tension all the time. Not just between us and them. I mean, just seeing it happen. We live in a world that's not yet fully under the reign and rule of God. And so there is still tension. We experience suffering while experiencing breakthrough. And here's the thing about the kingdom. Don't you hear this? This is kind of just, again, like I'm just going to give you some like new basic theology. And it's not even, it's not profound at all. Okay. It's like super common sense and logical, and that's biblical. God gave you a mind so that you could take the spiritual and the logic and marry it together to be like Jesus, right? Logic and motion need to go together. They are God's gift to himself and to us. Uh, so in that, this is where, here's where we are. As the tension, we will ex- continue experiencing hardship on earth while having moments of great victory. We will experience loss while having moments of great salvation. We will experience unanswered prayer while having moments of powerful breakthrough because of prayer. And in all of it, we must, this is important, and in all of these, in both sides, we must continue seeking first the kingdom of God. Why? For as we seek the kingdom, we find and see Jesus. Why do we have to seek God in the middle of our tension? Because when we find and see Jesus in the midst of the beauty of breakthrough and in the Tension of the world in which we live and seek and find him, then the worry, fear, and doubt and anxiety of the tension is engulfed by the loving lordship of a king who can lead us through anything. That's the point. Why listen? Do you remember Jesus said, Hey, hey seek first the kingdom, and I'll give you everything that you need. Do you know what Jesus didn't say? Seek first the kingdom and I'll take away all the things that are producing the fear and the worry and the anxiety. No, they would still be living in a place of not having a great job. they would still be living in a life of not having confidence and a shelter over their head they would still be living in a place of not knowing where their food was going to come tomorrow they would still live in the same reality right of the tension god 's kingdom hadn't yet come fully in that moment, but God said, because I 'm a perfect good and loving king, if you will seek me, I will take the anxiety that's crippling you and in the midst of your struggles in the midst of your hardship and In the midst of your suffering, I will be with you and I will give you life. I'll prepare a table before you as you stand in front of your enemy who's trying to crush you and kill you. Spiritually, you will thrive where in the physical you may not be. That, my friends, is some pretty good theology. It gives you a theology of the kingdom that allows for prayer, for working of miracles and salvation, for miraculous movements of God, for divine healing that I've seen and I've witnessed and I pray for and I always pray for in every single moment with an anticipation and expectation, God, but I don't know how things are going to turn out in the fit and the practical. I know how it's going to turn out for eternity, God, but I'm going to pray and believe it all the way to the end god because i know who you are that you're a good loving king and i'm seeking your kingdom in every situation god is for us he loves us and as we engage this kingdom theology we will not be offended Hardship and suffering, I'm sorry, part of your life. Do you, know, you know, it's one of those interesting things. Have you ever read biographies of great men and women of faith? Go read biographies sometime. Go read the stories of, read the stories of Augustine, right? Go read the stories of, of um, John Wesley, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, lots of Johns. Go read the biography of Charles Finney and William Seymour. Go read the stories and go listen to people today like Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. Go look at Jack Deere, a guy who was really impactful for me around the understanding of God's spirit and the movement of God's power. Look at Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the world who's shaped who we are today. John Wesley had a terrible marriage. His wife was crazy, and he was kind of a jerk. Charles Spurgeon, from, the, from his entire life, struggled with depression until he died. William Seymour was a one-eyed black man who started a great revival in San Francisco. Probably the most impactful and important um, leader that led to this revival, the charismatic movement in the world today. You want to talk about just the hell he went through in San Francisco and the opposition that he faced. You know, Rick Warren, great man, his son committed suicide several years ago. Jack Deere, same type thing. i tell you even more stories about him. Go back and read Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of faith and healing, right? Saw multiple people raised from the dead as he prayed for them. Saw literally thousands of people miraculously healed. His daughter was deaf her entire life and died deaf. And this is crazy. It's kind of uncomfortable. But the guy literally would pass kidney stones multiple times while he was preaching in abject and utter pain. Right, his entire life. And and obviously, the stories can go on, right? Suffering, hardship, disillusionment that we face. You see, when we talk about the kingdom, about the kingdom coming, some people like to bury their head in the sand and only focus on all the great things. And it's great until it's not. I could tell you people who've, I mean, even today, in today's world, John Wimbers of the world, the Mike Bickles of the world, right? Think about the Rick Joyners of the world. Think about people who've been really influential in my spiritual life. Steve Hill, who started the Browns War Revival, and John Kilpatrick down there, Michael Brown. All these names were really, and I know, all their, I know most of their stories and the way they suffered. Look at Beth Moore today. For those of you who love Beth Moore, my gosh, the denomination that she's loved her entire life is basically pooped on her, and she's had to leave them. That's been overwhelmingly difficult for her. Jen Hatmaker, who's the other one, the other um, female who's so important out there in blogosphere world? Mm, Christine? No. There's somebody else. I'm thinking I can't see her face. She was a friend of mine, like a friend of a friend. Husband cheated on her just recently. Lisa Turkhurst. I mean, It's brutal. We live in a fallen world. So, here you go. <laughs> Doesn't that make you feel terrible and wonderful all at the same time? Like my favorite moment, my, uh, I, I, the first one said my favorite moment in the Bible, and I meant to say the favorite moment in Forrest Gump. So my, fr- my favorite moment in Forrest Gump <clears throat> was when they go to that hurricane Lieutenant Dan, who had lost his legs because Forrest saved him and didn't want to be saved. And he was bitter and angry in life. He's on that stupid boat, Jenny. The hurricane comes through, right? Destroys everything. And what, is, what does Dan do? He goes up into the perch and he just starts screaming at God. Having that moment. And Forrest, in his wisdom, says, I don't know what happened up there. Whatever business he did with God, but he came down a changed man. See, it begins with honesty. Robert Duvall, the apostle, his mom said, sometimes he talks to God and sometimes he yells. Right? Having our honest moments before God. You see, the theology of a good follower of Christ is able to embrace the kingdom has come, but not yet fully. To live in the tension and the disillusionment, to be honest and journey through the wall, right? For those of you who've done um, our study before, like this idea of spiritually healthy um, Christianity, whatever it is, emotionally healthy spirituality, like this journey through the wall, It we have a while to get there, emotionally healthy spirituality, a journey through the wall. To be, you have to be honest about this thing that's created this tension so that in being honest and you can engage God on a different level, and he will take you on that journey. When you get to the other side, you'll be at peace. This morning as our worship team comes back and we just pray and worship, see, I told you I wouldn't make it nice and tidy at the end, right? I'm just kind of leaving you in your tension. I think that's what Jesus does. He's in the tension and says, I, don't, I can't, just, just seek me. Just come and be honest with me. Come like John and say, ah, you're kind of letting me down. Je- John, Je- Jesus knew what was happening. He says, hey, blessed is John for not falling away on, because of me. Right? Like, I know I'm not meeting his expectations. I'm okay with that. He's going to have to deal with that offense. Who knows if John actually ever got over that offense or if he died in that tension. I don't know. If you're silent. And so I, give, I just want to give you that journey this morning, the journey of honesty, the journey of the tension, the journey of taking that tension, maybe the things that have let you down and saying, God, this is where I am this morning. Then you turn your gaze from it and say, Jesus, maybe like Lieutenant Dan, I have to be really honest about my anger and frustration right now. I know that you're God, but I'm angry. And we begin this journey into the honesty so we can go through the wall and get to the other side. This morning I have ministry teams available. They just love to pray for you.